Well, in these evenings, we have been working our way through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and we're in the middle of that tonight. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to read that uh, together just now. If you've got one of the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 672, page 672, Ecclesiastes 7, and we're going to read the whole uh, chapter As we read, we remember that this is God's Word. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man, the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what He has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? 
So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, said the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another, discover the scheme of things. While I was searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us his word. Well, please do turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 as we make our way through that. And as you're opening it up, Nigel mentioned that I'm going to Korean this week up to their mission week. So please do pray for me as we look at the theme of Jesus being the way on Monday evening. And then on Wednesday evening, we're looking at him being the truth and then the life on Thursday evening. And there'll be lunch bars happening through each of those days as well. Uh, Jim Crooks will be there to teach, and so will Ollie Neal at various points. And I hope to be there for a, a good chunk of the week to be at the lunch bars to get to know students and engage with them and to uh, meet with them uh, and to be at the times of prayer in the morning. So it's going to be a, a, a great week. We're looking forward to it, but please do uh, uh, pray for me and pray for energy and for strength as we, as we engage there uh, this week. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're thinking about this next little section in which the teacher-preacher takes us into. And so here's the title for tonight and the question, the question that we're going to come back to at the very end, what is the good life? What is the good life? Many people have various answers to this. Each of us could dream up our own utopia. Currently, as a society, it seems like we're uh, embarking upon this experiment. Let's try and make our own ideal world. And it's not going all that well. And the hope is that people will find happiness and joy and meaning, that we'll unlock some secret garden of bliss. And really, we're finding the opposite. And as society slips into this dream world, what I want us to imagine is that the school bell of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 rings and calls us all back into class. The last time we were on a walk, this time we're in the classroom. For some of you, that might be horrific memories. It might bring up some awful feelings, but go, go with me. Here we go into the classroom of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And really, this class is dictated to by Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12. That's the, that's the question. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12, the teacher-preacher asks the question, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of this vain life which he passes like a shadow? What is good for a man? What is the good life? What is the life that we should live? So here we have it, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 12. It's this haunting refrain that runs throughout the book. It's being amplified every time that we hear it. What is life? What is the meaning of life? What is the good life? And so it's being pressed upon us. The school bell clangs, 
And every time it clangs in this book, it gets louder and louder and louder until we reach this point where we are this week. And the bell reminds us that we haven't found the answer yet. What is the answer to life? What is the answer to the good life? What are we looking for? Where do we find meaning? And so we walk into the classroom of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's after lunch. You can imagine that slot. Uh, You come in after lunch. You've maybe been running about outside in the playground. You're tired. You've you've had a big feed, as we would say. And you really aren't up for this class. And so we come in into Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 12. And into Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we take our seats And a hush falls across the classroom as we turn our eyes towards the front and we see on the blackboard in big writing, what is the good life? Question mark. And then under it, death in capital letters. There's going to be no sleeping in this class. On the board, what is the good life? Death. And beside the The board and between the board and the teacher's desk, what do we see? We see that there's a coffin sitting there. It's as if the teacher has pulled out smelling salts and gives us a dose of reality. And so we're going to see four lectures in this classroom tonight. And the first one is found in verses 1 through 6, and it is the lecture of death. The lecture of death. The good life, you want to know the good life, you want to know how it is that we can live? Well, verse 2, the teacher says, this death is the end of all mankind, and the living should lay it to heart. Death will present the clearest lecture. Death will teach the best lessons. Death will be the best evangelist. Why? Because death stops us. It sobers us. It might even scare us. Death makes us think. And so one commentator says this. Death looks us in the eye and asks us to look him right back with a steady gaze and allow him to do his work in us. This is hard for us tonight to talk about. So we speak about death, but the teacher has a point for us to learn, and the point is that this is where we all end. And so verses 1 through 4, the teacher points to the coffin at the front of the classroom, and he says, look, study, observe this, absorb it, think about this, because this will be the best thing for you. You want to answer the question about how do we have the good life? Well, this is where we got to begin. We have to start here. And what the teacher does is he exposes the shallowness of our thinking, of human thinking, whenever it comes to death. We say it often here during funeral services, what is the world's answer to death? What's the solution from the world? And the world doesn't have one. It looks at death, it stirs it in the eye, and it comes up with no answers, no solutions. What will the world say to how do we live the good life? The world will say, be nice, be kind, squeeze and wring all that you can from life. If you get sick, tough, it's just the look of the draw. The end comes, death will confront you, but just ignore it. Come up with some happy rhymes about it. Deal with it in a sentimental way. 
and then keep moving. Ignore it, bury it away from yourself. And the world will then turn away from death very quickly. It'll run out of the classroom of death. And what will it do? It'll run towards entertainment. It'll run for laughter. It'll run for drink and pleasure and work and money and education. Any way to anesthetize ourselves from death. And the teacher says, look at it. Look at death in the eye. This will be your end. It's as if he takes us and he places us in the morgue. But he says, if you look, and you look close enough, you will be changed. Verse 1, better is the day of death than the day of birth. That, that, is, an, that is an odd thing to say, isn't it? It's a phrase that that grates with us. Why would the teacher say it's better to look at a day of death and be a, a, a student in the day of death than the day of birth? Well, what the teacher is doing is he's taking us to the very end of the line. He's showing us how everything ends. At the cut, we don't really get a reality check because at the cut, what happens? Well, we have all of our dreams and all of our schemes, all of our plans, all of the ambitions for this little one that we find wrapped up in their little blanket, and we have them down to be the next world changer. They'll be Rory McElroy or Michael Jordan or whoever it may be, Dame Mary Peters, and we think that they've got, they've got all the potential for everything that they could ever achieve. David Gibson says, the coffin preaches better sermons than the cot. He says, whenever we see verse 2, and we see the end of all mankind, we see the end of ourselves, well, that will sober us. That will enable us to lay a good foundation. Imagine tonight that we, we could go through a project here, and we could see our own death tonight. If I could show you how your days would end, we would all be horrified, but it would change how we would live. And that is exactly what Solomon is doing. Look at verse 2. Better is the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Verse 3. Better sorrow than laughter. Verse 4. The wise are found in the house of mourning. Death will come to us all soon, says the teacher. How then will we live? What is the good life? And so with that burned upon our minds, lecture one comes to an end, and the teacher rolls the coffin out of the way, the board is wiped down, and he takes us into lecture two, remembering that we still have to answer that question, how will we live the good life? Lecture, chap le lecture two is the, the good but not great of verse five through 13. The good but not great. Is this the good life? You can imagine the teacher taking us in. And he starts, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. And he takes us through these things. Verse 6, for the, and I love this image, for the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. What does that mean? It means that the, the thorns, if you ever cut out thorns out of a hedge, they, they burn really quickly, don't they? They just evaporate. So he's given us wisdom here. Verse, verse 7, verse 8, you, you see him giving us good things in life. Verse 7, don't take bribes, don't oppress. Verse 8, see how things pan out. Don't be proud at the start. Wait to pass judgment. 
That little phrase, don't count your chickens. Verse 9, avoid anger. Verse 10, don't live in the past. Don't point back and say, oh, if only we could live in the good old days. Verse 11, wisdom is desirable. It helps. All of the above are good. They're all good uh, pointers on wisdom. It's good, but it's not great. Remember that from chapter 5, something similar. It's good, but it's not great. It's like trying to collect rain with a sieve. It's like something you would send a student out to do or an apprentice on the, on the work site. Go out there and collect some rain for me. Or trying to cut your garden with scissors. It's good. There's, there's lessons to be learned here. But the teacher is saying, is this really the good life? He's trying to help us think about it. He's trying to help us students. You're trying to make the good, the good and, and the best of a bad situation. Now, how do we know that? Because look at verse 13. It goes through this list, the, the lecture of good but not great. And then he summarizes it in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? You see that? these verses, we're trying to cut a straight path, but we can't. There's something stopping us. The Lord has made this crooked. What is it? It's a, it's a throwback all the way into Genesis and the curse that has been pronounced. God has cursed man and cursed the ground, cursed our relationship one with the other. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? You don't have the power within yourself to find the good life. Verse 13 leaves us thinking, we need an answer. And the answer is not found in ourselves. So the lecture of death, class one, then class two, good but not great, then into lecture three, verses 14 through 18. And in verses 14 through 18, this is the lecture of no control. The lecture of no control. Verse 14 in the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. How would we say it in Northern Ireland? We would say, you don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know what's next. God is in control. He's in control of the prosperity and adversity. He is sovereign. And which will come our way, we do not know. No one knows what a day brings forth, says the teacher. And so he takes out the drawn board, and he, uh, he takes out the board and he draws on it, verse 15, to, to illustrate this for us. He gives us some personal examples. We don't know what a day brings forth. And so verse 15, in my vain life, I'm reading from the ESV, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man, he perishes, and the wicked man, he lives long. We don't know what's ahead. We don't know what's around the corner. We can't figure out the rhyme or the reason. We're not guaranteed anything. And so in this class, as we start to draw our own conclusions, well, what is the good life? What really is the way that we should live? The teacher says, don't do that yet. Stop. We haven't reached the end of class. Look at verse 16. Do not be clever in your own eyes. 
That's how we can translate it. Don't be clever in your own eyes. Don't rely on your own ability, thinking I'll do things my way for my glory. There doesn't seem to be any answer to this class, so I'll just do what I want. I'll be as good as I can, and then I'll go, and I'll die. Or you could have the opposite response, verse 17. Think, that well, there's no answer to be found, so what will I do? I'll just go and kill and steal and destroy things. And so the teacher says, we're drawing near to an end, but don't conclude. Verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this. The beginning of the good life, the beginning of it is that you should take hold of these things, death, not being in control, the desire to want an answer. In life, there could be good, there could be bad, but that does not determine your value or your purpose. Circumstances will change, says the teacher. Things are going to come your way. Good things are going to come. Bad things are going to come. Your life will almost certainly not work out like you planned it. But can you make straight what God has made crooked? No. So how do we not lose our minds with all of this? With the, the tension that we have as we battle and search for the good life. How, how, how do we balance this all? Well, take hold of that feeling, verse 18. Take hold of it with your hands. Take hold of that feeling. Don't let it go. See, the one who fears God will walk through and emerge. It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Okay. The lecture of death, our foundation. Good, but not great, lecture two. Lecture three, we're not in control. And then we move into the lecture of life. Verses 19 through to the end. You see, at this point, chapter, chapter 6 and verse 12, the question, who, for who knows what is good for a man? That hasn't been answered. But what is the good life, says the student? All of us, we, we pull on the teacher's gown again and say, teacher, please give us an answer. Help us here. And he says, okay, let's, let's wrap this up. And if we are taking notes for an exam, he's saying, you, you better listen at this point. This is the point that you really need to tune in. The point that the teacher says that everyone thinks, right, here we are. Now we're at the business end. Verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Here we go. Here's the wisdom that I'm about to give you. And he starts in verse 20. Surely, uh, sorry, verse, verse 20, yes. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What's, his, what's the start of his conclusion here? All are sinners, verse 20 through 22. He, he illustrates it. Don't take to heart. He pretty much says that people are going to badmouth you behind your back. The people that you value in your life are going to badmouth you, but you've done exactly the same. Just in case someone says, well, I'm not a sinner. He says, well, look, they will do it, and you have done it. Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All are sinners. Sin is the illness of our hearts. No one is good. 
And therefore, therefore, no one can live the good life, students. You see, the good life from birth has been veiled from your eyes. You will not find it alone. Believe me, I have tried. Look at verse 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. I have said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. That's the philosopher's epitaph, isn't it? I've searched for wisdom, but it was far from me. There was nothing to be found. I couldn't find the good life. The teacher says, I have tried. I have chased it. I have explored. And it's been like chasing for a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. I couldn't get it. Verse 25, I searched to get wisdom, to understand the scheme of things, the deeper meaning to find the conspiracy theory behind it all, to find the code, to find the handbook. I wanted the manual. And where did he go? He went down into the wickedness of fools. You can illustrate that, can't you? The wickedness of fools, all of the, the evil of the world. I went down there and I found nothing. I went into the sewers of the world and they were empty. And then I went into the foolishness of of all things mad. Every, every philosophy, every idea, I, I examined it. Has this got life in it? Has that got life in it? It's like our world. They follow this wind and that wind. Maybe this will be the answer. Maybe this will be the answer. Nothing. It's all madness. It's like verse 6. It's like the crackling of thorns under a pot. It's like the laughter of fools. It's burnt up quickly and it's gone. But on my adventures, says the teacher, I did find something. And what did I find? And he says to us, beware. I found the shackler of Satan. I found the snatcher of souls. Do you see it? Verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about a particular woman that he's crossed a path with? Someone that we really should avoid and he's telling the students to avoid? No, it's a depiction of, of evil. Do you know how it, it's represented in Proverbs chapter 5? Remember, he talks about uh, woman, uh, woman wisdom, lady wisdom, and then a dame folly. We could go through the book, lady wisdom, dame folly, right? Well, what's, what's, what's this dame folly like? Proverbs 5, her lips are like honey, her speech like oil, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. What's he saying? He's saying, young student, as I, as I went into the world and tried to find the meaning, as I searched for the good life, what did I find? I found this woman, this woman who is the, the shackler of Satan, the one who wants to take your soul, snatch your soul from you, bind you, to put you into snares and into nets and into fetters and, and cuffs and chains. Young student, be on your guard. Proverbs 7. Listen to how Solomon describes it again in Proverbs 7. 
For at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Then to describe this woman, he says, she is loud and wayward, her feet stray down in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from the Egyptian, uh, from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces his liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Solomon says, and now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Solomon says, we start at the place of death, so you will know how your life will end. And your life will end if you go into this world, young student, and you search for meaning of life, the goodness of life in the world. The world will come to you like this woman, and it will trap you and ensnare you. It'll take your life from you. You think it's sweet. Her bed is laid out as if it's, it's got the finest perfume. She's got the, the finest clothes laid out over it. It's lovely. It's beautiful. It's tempting. Proverbs 7, 27, her house is the way to Sheol, going down into the chambers of death. What's the point of Ecclesiastes 7? He's saying to us, the teacher says, don't die. I don't want you to die. I want you to see life. This woman, the shackler of Satan, she's armed to the teeth. You can't escape her. Snares and nets and chains, she will drag you to hell. Death to begin Ecclesiastes 7, death to end Ecclesiastes chapter 7, but there is one way to escape. Look at verse 26. It's tucked away in there, and we maybe read over it, and we didn't even see it. He who pleases God escapes her. There is an answer. There is an answer to Ecclesiastes 7. There is an answer to chapter 6 and verse 12. Those who live for the Lord escape, who live for His pleasure under His rule and under His word, under His way, the teacher says, shall live. But verses 28 to 29 tells us that these people are rare. What, what we could say is 28 and 29, it's not making a, an a 
a comment about gender, it's pretty much saying this person, this person who follows the Lord is as hard to find as a needle in a haystack. And the conclusion is that the student, verse 13, should understand that man cannot fix what God has cursed. But in verse 29, we should see grace. Look at verse 29. See this alone I found, that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. These are words of grace. Why are they words of grace? Because the teacher is saying, this is how life began. God made man upright. Way back in the garden, how was man made? He was made upright. But then the sin, the sin that he's already referred to, the sin that he's tried to show us of our natural hearts post the fall means that we have sought out many schemes. We've tried to go about our own way. We've tried to do things our way. And we get lost. And we fall into death. Meaningless was not here in the beginning, says the teacher. So we have a shaft of light, a ray of hope here. And this takes us tonight to our Savior. It takes us to our Savior because we're begging, we're begging the teacher, please don't leave us here. Please don't leave us here with the shackler of Satan. Please don't leave us with this woman who's going to take our soul. We need, we need something better. We need to go to Christ, the one who comes. And what does he do? Verse 13, it's he that will make straight the path that God has made crooked. He is the one that will come and who will make man upright again. It's Christ who will come to a twisted and a crooked generation and will extend his love. It's all in Christ. He who pleases God escapes her. How did the Father describe the Son? Matthew 3, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Son comes and is obedient to the Father. The Son comes and He charts away through life. He doesn't get caught with, with woman or dame folly. He doesn't follow her ways. He understands the lesson that the teacher is teaching us here. Christ is the one who will come and who will smash the jaws of this Satan shackler. It's Christ who will come. And who will do what? Set the prisoner free. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus, because he has anointed me to bring, to, sorry, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I have come to set the prisoner free. John 10. The thief comes to only steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so, where do we go from Ecclesiastes chapter 7? How do we answer the question, where's the good life? How do we get the good life? Well, we've got to look for the one who makes straight the curse, who takes the curse, who'll undo what was proclaimed in the garden who will stand in our place of death so that we might live. 
the one who will come and who will set our hands and our feet free, who will release us from the net of the world, who will bring light into our dark situation as we fumble about thinking, what is the good life? He comes. And so this is wisdom. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in the city. Please the Lord. You want to know how to live? You want to know how to have life? You want to know how to have the good life? Please the Lord. What does that mean? It means to follow His Son, to repent of our sin, and to say, Jesus, I see that you're my rescuer. You're the rescuer that I need. You're the one who is able to break these bonds of sin, to break the bars of the prison that I'm in. You're the one who can set me free. No one else can set me free. Only you. And I can see this in myself. I can see that I'm a sinner. I can see that I'm destined for the coffin. I can see what my end is going to be. I've been sobered by it tonight. Death will come, says the teacher. Are you ready? Have you freedom? Have you life? Do you know Christ? This is a serious message for us. The day of death, better than the day of birth. I trust tonight that each of us leave here trusting Jesus as our Savior. The hymn writer, I think, summarizes this. With these words, we will we'll close. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this passage shakes us to our very core as we come face to face with our greatest enemy, death. And as we stir death in the eye, we see how it will end for us. And it makes us ask many questions. What is life all about? How do I have the good life? What am I living for? Who am I? And you've painted the picture that many of us have found ourselves in, held in the shackles of this, this one who binds us and who wants to drag us to death and into hell. But we thank you 
We thank you, Lord, that there's grace in this passage, that that is not how the story started, and it is not how the story has to end, that we can be upright because of Jesus, that we can claim His righteousness, that we can have freedom from sin and from death and from Satan because of Jesus. And so we ask tonight that for all of us, we would trust you. That we would see our, our coming death. And then we would live in light of it. Father, thank you for this message. Write it upon our hearts. Help us to live in light of it. So that we may live for the glory of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.